My fellow Americans, Memorial Day is a day of ceremonies and speeches. Throughout America today, we honor the dead of our wars. We recall their valor and their sacrifices. We remember they gave their lives so that others might live. The unknown soldier who has returned to us today and whom we lay to rest is symbolic of all our missing sons. About him, we may well wonder as others have. Did he marry? Did he have children? Did he look expectantly to return to a bride? We'll never know the answers to these questions about his life. We do know, though, why he died. He saw the horrors of war, but bravely faced them. Certainly his own cause and his country's cause was a noble one. That he was fighting for human dignity, for free men everywhere. Let us, if we must, debate the lessons learned at some other time. Today, we simply say with pride, Thank you, dear son. May God cradle you in his loving arms. prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we remember those who have made the ultimate sacrifice for the freedoms that we enjoy every day, we think of how they have followed in the footsteps of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Please hold our servicemen and women in your strong arms. Cover them with your sheltering grace and your presence as they stand in the gap for our protection. We also remember the families of our troops. We ask for your unique blessings to fill their homes and we pray your peace and provision and strength would fill their lives. May the members of our armed forces be supplied with courage to face each day and may they trust in the Lord's mighty power to accomplish each task. Let our military brothers and sisters feel our love and support. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. I would like to begin today by telling you a couple stories. Both of these stories are true. Both of them are about someone at the very end of their rope. Completely overwhelmed by life. One of them is a contemporary story and the other took place several thousand years ago. Now the first story is about a friend named Diane. Diane lost her husband July 9, 2011. Two months later, her house went into foreclosure. That'd be a lot to deal with, wouldn't it? A year later, November 29th, 2012, her 32-year-old daughter passed away. 
her daughter and grandkids lived with her. And the day that she laid her daughter to rest was also the last time she got to see her grandchildren. See, the court gave them to the father, and the father signed them away to his stepmother. And they moved out of state. Man, how do you keep going? How do you muster the strength at that point to push on? Or to even care anymore? I mean, this is a woman that's a follower of Christ. She volunteers to clean her church on the weekends. She lifts her hands in praise and worship, glorifying God with every fiber of her being. She spends her mornings reading the Bible, talking to God. And now here she is at the end of her rope, unable to stand, unable to kneel, desperately, desperately needing to hear from God. Now, the second story is found in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. It's about a man named Elijah. And in chapter 18, Elijah has just faced an enormous showdown on Mount Carmel. You see, Elijah, a prophet of God, he challenged 450 prophets of Baal, whom the Canaanites worshipped as their sun god, as their storm god. So this was the ultimate showdown to prove once and for all who the one true God is. They would each kill a bull. They would place it on the firewood and they would call out for their God to light it. Baal's prophets went first. All day long, these 450 prophets of Baal, they called on their God to send fire from heaven. Which would surely be an easy task for a God associated with lightning bolts, you would think. But nothing. After Baal's prophets gave up, Elijah built an altar in the name of the Lord. He put his bull on it, and then he even took water. And he poured water all over it, soaking it. He prayed a simple prayer. And God answered immediately with fire from heaven. What an amazing man of God. And because of Elijah's faith, God did a miracle on that mountain. And the Israelites turned back to the one true God. But there was an evil queen named Jezebel. And she heard about Elijah's victory. And she swore to hunt him down and to have him killed. And we're going to pick up the story now. It's in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree 
and fell asleep. You would think that Elijah would have unshakable faith. I mean, he just witnessed God's miracle on Mount Carmel. And here is a man now at the end of his rope. No more strength to stand. No more strength to continue. And now he too desperately needed to hear from God. Two stories. Two God-fearing people that are overwhelmed by life. And they're sitting at rock bottom and neither one of them are wanting to carry on. They're both in need of divine intervention. Both needing to hear from God. Now I want to pause for just a second because how many people can relate to some parts of these two stories? Absolutely. I mean, I think everyone at some point gets to a place in their lives where they feel overwhelmed. Where you just feel like that, man, you don't have the strength to carry on anymore. And you're just not sure you can go another day. Life isn't turning out quite like you expected. That marriage isn't that fairy tale that you thought it was going to be. Maybe you never thought in a million years that your kids would be making some of the decisions that they're making and it's tearing you up inside. Or maybe like Diane, you have faced unthinkable loss. Man, I know some of you have. I've sat in your houses with you. I've prayed with you. I've cried with you before. You see, the common thing that everyone shares in times like this is a desire. A desire to hear from God. Man, when we're hurting, when we're scared, when we're lost, we long to be able to hear from God. We need to hear from God. We need encouragement from our Father. You know, Diane needed strength to continue. And she got it in a whisper. In a quiet, calm voice, she heard God tell her, I go before you. A whisper let her know that God was clear in her path. A whisper brought her the comfort of knowing that she wasn't alone in all of this. And giving her enough strength to continue. In Elijah's story, remember he's sitting under the tree. He's wanting to die, unable to carry on, desperately needing to hear from God as well. Now I want to jump to chapter 19, verse 11. Because I want you to see how God chooses to speak to Elijah. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. 
After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. In a whisper, God spoke to Diane, and in a whisper, God spoke to Elijah. Why do you think God chose to whisper? There is nothing more comforting than a whisper. Nothing will calm you down and will bring you peace like a soft voice. When a mother comforts her baby, she speaks or she sings in a quiet voice. Hush, little baby, don't say a word. She doesn't grab the baby and say, Hush, little baby! That's Metallica. That's not comforting. That makes baby do doo-doo and dighty. She loves her baby. And she wants to bring peace. And she wants to bring comfort to baby. Think of it like this. My son Ethan, he is 10. And he plays a little league. Here's a picture of him pitching this week. Maybe. There we go. Now, see, there are times when I need to raise my voice to him. Because that is how I grab his attention. Come on, Ethan. Watch the glove. Throw strikes. Ethan, pay attention. Quit spitting sunflower seeds at the guys in the dugout. You see, when your voice is raised, it gets attention. Keep your eye on the ball, Ethan. So my louder voice, it gets him to focus and it grabs his attention. Like with Elijah. God grabbed his attention first with what? It was a great and powerful wind. An earthquake. And fire. And then, when he had his attention, he comforted him with a whisper. The other day in a game, Ethan was facing a young pitcher that was way faster than he had ever faced before. I swear, I think the kid's name was Koufax or Chapman or something like this. This kid could throw Anyway, Ethan, he's in the hole, which means he's the third batter up. The first kid gets beamed with a fastball. Man, I can see the fear in my son's eyes. He didn't want to face this guy at all. Next batter almost gets his head taken off. So next up is Ethan. 
And I think he's starting to understand church a little bit because I hear him praying as he's walking to the batter box with his legs shaking. First pitch, he jumps out. It's a perfect strike. I yell to him, you got to keep in the box. You got to swing. You can hit this. Next pitch, jumps out again. Perfect strike. Come on, Ethan. Swing hard, just like we practice. Stay in there. He's rattled, though. Next pitch, he stands in there, but he watches a perfect strike pass. He took a third strike looking. So he's walking back to the dugout, and I can see he's got little tears forming in his eyes. And I put my arm around him. I put my arm around him, I pulled him close, and I whispered, way to stay in the box on that last strike. I mean, I'm proud of you. When we are hurting, when we are scared, our Father uses whispers to comfort us. Whispers to give us instruction. Whispers to let us know you can do this. I'm with you. I know you're scared. Hang in there. Things will get better. We're beginning a new series today entitled When God Whispers. So today and throughout the next few weeks, we are going to be learning how to get better at hearing God's whispers, and how to get bolder at doing the things that He is whispering at us to do. Because I have a feeling that almost everyone in here has at some point heard a whisper from God. I'm not saying necessarily it was an audible voice. Maybe you felt something in your spirit Maybe something, a whisper to you to do something or not to do something. Maybe God put it on someone else's heart to whisper something to you. I just honestly believe that God speaks to us much more often than what we realize. I don't think God is ever silent. I just think that we struggle with lowering the static of noise in our lives in order to actually hear. It's hard to hear a whisper when the volume of our lives are so loud. In Revelation 3, verse 20, God's voice says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. You see, that's a very familiar Bible verse that most often seems to be used in the context of urging people to give their lives to God. But do you know that those words were actually written to a church filled with believers? Just like us. 
And I believe that today God is saying the same thing to all of us here at the jar. Here I am. I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking. Are any of you listening? Are any of you willing to engage in a dialogue with me? Now, our focus today is on how God whispers words of comfort. Just like the stories, just like his whispers to Diane, just like his whispers to Elijah. Because every one of us needs to hear comfort from God. Every one of us. But in order for that to happen, we need to do three things. And the first thing is we have to relearn how to reframe. We have to learn how to reframe. Let me give you the definition of reframing. Create a different way of looking at a situation, person, or relationship. You ever had the image of a person, like a first impression? Then after you got to know that person, you discovered that you were way off. That, that wasn't anywhere accurate on how that person actually is. That could be good or bad, either one. You see, many of us need to do a reframing process when it comes to our relationship with God. Because each of us holds an image of God. Each one of us do. And many of us need to do a reframing process when it comes to our relationship with God. Some of you maybe formed an image of God in your childhood. And your your image is of a God who's angry. A God who's judgmental. Who's definitely not very pleasant. And possibly it's shaped because of a view of your father, maybe growing up with someone stern, someone who's maybe ready to pounce on every infraction. Maybe it was shaped by fanatical religious organizations that you witnessed or saw on television. The whole turn or burn thing. Now, some of you maybe would say that your image isn't, of God isn't that extreme. But you may still struggle a bit to see God as a father. Filled with compassion, with tenderness, with mercy. Has anyone in here ever read a book called The Shack? Great read. Amazing book. But I think what's so captivating about it is how God is reframed in it. You see, the Heavenly Father is portrayed in this book as a joyful, loving, African-American woman. And I promise you it will stretch your view of God. See, the character portraying God says over and over in this book, when talking about someone, says, I'm especially fond of him. I'm especially fond of her. I mean, can you imagine God saying that about you? 
I'm especially fond of Rick. I'm especially fond of Don. Insert your name there. I'm especially fond of you. You see, the Bible is full of moments where God is described as a father and even as a mother. No one in the Old Testament, though, directly addressed God as father, but Jesus did so 170 times. In fact, when he taught us to pray, he said, here's how to begin. Our father who is in heaven. Let me read you just a few places in Scripture where God's parental love for you and I are described. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Isaiah 66 verse 13, As a mother comforts her child... So will I comfort you. Isaiah 49, verse 13. I love this one. It says, For the Lord comforts His people and will have compassion on His afflicted ones. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. What a beautiful image. You see, God uses these parental analogies to describe himself because the love of a parent for a child is a love that we can understand. We get it. I mean, if your child or your niece or your nephew or your grandkid, they scrape their knee and they're all bloody and their little tears are running down their cheeks... What's your natural instinct? You're going to pull that child close to you. You're going to hug that child. You're going to say things like, it's okay. It's going to be okay. I'm right here. It's all right. I love you. But can you grasp the concept today that God wants to do that for you and me? Especially when we need comfort. God sees our tears. Come to me. It's going to be all right. I'm with you. I'm for you. I love you ferociously. I'm so fond of you. Come to me. You see, that's the kind of God that we have. That's the kind of hope that we have today. We get another picture of God's comforting love when we go back to the story of Elijah. You see, before God came to Elijah in a whisper, he did something else. And I want to look at that verse, and it's right after Elijah said that he wanted to die. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. 
the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. I mean, what a tender picture of God's comfort. What a tender picture of God's care. It reminds me of another time after the resurrection when Jesus appeared to his disciples on the beach. They're out fishing early in the morning. And as they came to shore, they saw the Lord standing next to a fire with burning coals and fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. I mean, can you frame a picture of a God who wants to prepare breakfast for you? Who shelters you with his wings? Who holds you like a mother holds a child? God is saying, I am your heavenly father. This is who I am. Allow me to be this to you. Allow me to do this for you. And I know for some of you, this is a radical reframing of who you've come to believe that God is. And this process of adjusting your image of God, it takes time. It takes time reading the Bible. It takes time reading that ultimate love letter from God. But as we continually reframe our view of God, we take another step. Number two is a step of waiting. A step of waiting. We have to learn how to do this because most of us can be pretty pathetic when it comes to waiting. We don't like to wait. We don't like to wait on anything. And see, our relationship to God cannot be reduced to some kind of a formula. It's a relationship. Relationships take time sometimes to build. It seems like God can come and go at times. And what I mean by that is, I don't know if you notice, if you're anything like me, some days you feel incredibly connected to God. You feel very spiritual. You're, you're aware of His presence. And then perhaps the very next day even, all of a sudden you kind of feel like you're in a desert. We're talking one day. And it can feel like a whole season one day can at times. I mean, I battle this a lot. Way more often than you would realize For anybody that's new today, I am not the senior pastor of this church. Chris Bunch is. I am, part of, I am a pastor, part of the teaching ministry. And sometimes I'll put together teachings. And I will hear God give me things. And man, I will get excited. And I'll feel the presence of the Spirit. And things that I just know that I could have never come up with in a million years. And... And I'll just be thanking God for using me. And then other times, I won't sense anything at all. It'll be like God is 
silent. And then in my head, I start thinking, I can't do this. I'm not going to be able to pull this off. This could possibly be the worst teaching in the history of any Delaware County church ever. Then midweek, God will speak to me. He'll turn a light on inside of my head. Just a couple weeks ago, I've had a lot of stuff going on. I've been really busy. A couple weeks ago, I did my, I officiated my first wedding that I never thought I would, could pull off. And in the same week, I did my first funeral as well that I never thought that I would pull off. And then next up, I have a teaching in line. So I stare at my iPad for days. <laughs> Nothing. It's coming up on a Thursday morning that I have to do a radio show for 89.9 Joy FM. I have to go on for an hour and talk about Celebrate Recovery. So I'm nervous about that. Thinking I can't talk for an hour on the radio. I'm more comfortable singing on the radio than talking on the radio. I'm not educated enough for this. My grammar is not good enough to go on the radio. So I'm driving there. I feel God whispering, who is better equipped to go on the radio and talk about Celebrate Recovery for an hour than you? Calm down. Get your feet in the batter's box. Swing. And it went fine. Next up is Sunday's teaching. So I'm panicking. I'm thinking I got nothing. I called Chris, said, you need to have your dad do it. You need to call in the big guns. The captain needs to walk through the door Sunday. Again, God pulls me close, says, you can do this, just like we always do. You see, the movements of God are not predictable. They can't just be demanded. James says, come near to God and he will come near to you. That's James 4, verse 8. James doesn't put a timetable on that. But he does say that God will come near to you. You see, the word wait comes from a root word meaning to watch. And it's what you and I are called to do. To watch, to be attentive, to be ready for God to show up. To be ready for when God whispers to you. Psalm 25, verse 5, says, For thee I wait all the day long. Psalm 130, verse 6, says, My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. Psalm 40, verse 1, says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. You see, many of us experience anxiety. We experience stress or fear, and we think that we're not going to be able to do something. We all battle moments like that. We question ourselves. I mean, think about something that's concerning you these days. And what we often do 
is we choose to escape from it. Maybe we numb ourselves with television or internet, alcohol, drugs, sleep. There's so many things we just numb ourselves to it and we just try to escape from it. And God is saying when life gets dark, what you need to do is trust Him to give you some light. It's about trusting God. Come to Him and wait. It's something that we can learn. It's tough sometimes, but it's something that we choose to be still. We need to be able to create a little bit of space for God to be able to work. And then there's a final step we take. Step three is to receive. To receive. If God's going to be our Father, what does that mean? means you and I have to be the child. We have to learn how to be the child. And for the, many of us, this is difficult. Because all of a sudden, this means that we have to give up control. We don't like to give up control. We like to control everything. But we have to hand over the reins of our life to God and stop trying to fix everything ourselves. You and I have to be humble enough to choke out the words, help me, God. When we're going through something, I need you, God. I need to hear from you, God. That's why Celebrate Recovery has been so helpful to so many people, Diane included. Because you learn to declare your dependence on Him. First Peter 5, verse 5 says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Says God's mighty hand. And actually, it's God's mighty hands. I want to show you a video. And this is a video that shows God whispering. Whispering through earthquakes, winds, fires of life, screens of this world telling you that you have to look a certain way. You have to act a certain way. You have to do what everybody else is doing. But I want you to see and I want you to experience how a whisper and two mighty outstretched hands that were nailed to a cross can truly bring comfort and protection into your life.
mighty, outstretched hands bringing comfort. Friends, reframe your view of God. Wait patiently for Him. He's knocking. Open that door. Receive Him. No matter what you're going through, He longs to comfort you. He longs to be able to protect you. Crawl up into His lap like a little child. Because He is especially fond of every one of you. Let's stand for closing prayer. Powerful God, as it says in Psalm 42, verse 1, as a deer longs for flowing streams, so our souls long for you. And God, we come before you now, praying and longing for whispers. May the busyness and the priorities of our lives never exceed the volume of your voice. May we take with us today a desire to draw closer to you. A desire to completely lay our lives before you at the foot of the cross. A conviction to stand up for you as Elijah did in our schools, in our workplaces, and more importantly, in our homes. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we all say together, Amen. Have an awesome, safe Memorial Day. If anyone needs prayer, there will be a prayer team.